it's time to to divvy up and help out. You can also write to me at Alan Watt, W-A-T-T, site 41, box 4, Estaire, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada, postal code is P as in Peter, 3, E as in Elizabeth, the number 4, N as in Nora, and the number 1, P3E4N1. Back with more after the following break.
And that's what really ticks us all off. We know, some of us knew immediately what was going to happen. I said, I think it was even that night, on a radio show, I said, the hardest thing, the hardest thing you'll have from now on over what's to come over the years, the hardest thing to do will be to hang on to your sanity as things are turned upside down completely. And that's happened. And there's, got a, there's a lot more to go. Because we're trained step by step in a Fabian type technique. And it always works. And, and it's, it's very simple, except the first little part of something that's not right. And the rest of it's quite easy. In fact, they always use the last part that they've introduced to justify the second part. Well, you already accepted that, so what's your problem? That's what, what they use. Or they'll say, well, Sweden's using the past this law. What's wrong, what's wrong with us doing it? That, that's how they justify things today, you see. In other words, the right or wrong of it has got nothing. It doesn't even come into the debates or the injustices it brings with it. We're going through a revolution and we're, we're dealing with the masters of revolution. We tend to think that revolutions are bloody and people are revolting in the streets and so on. That's only one type of revolution, which again is generally managed. In fact, successful revolutions are always pre-planned. That's what the writers who did their own memoirs of the Founding Fathers used to say, uh, wrote about, that they couldn't have a spontaneous revolution. It took years of preparation. Yet have a doctrine to follow, something to teach. It was the same with Marxism. You couldn't say, everything's wrong, let's revolt. That's called a riot, you see. A riot. When you have a revolution, you must have a doctrine, you must have an ideology, you must know where you're taking the people. And always, it's only those at the top who understand where you're really going. Where you're really going. The people at the bottom are always sold some kind of utopian idea of fairness and equality which is always a lie. But that doesn't matter. You're used to get on board. In fact, I remember looking at a handbook for communists at one, one point years ago, printed in New York, of course, and it said that it, wasn't, it was only important that true covert Marxists get into power by lying and saying anything at all didn't matter just to get in, you see. And once they were in, they could do what they wanted to do. We had this in Canada when Pierre Trudeau um, got into power as a, as a prime minister. Now, Pierre Trudeau, a multimillionaire, and again, most folk think of Marxists as being sort of poor working classes and nothing is further from the truth. It's an elitist organization. And uh, he, he actually had led the Comintern, the Young Communists for Canada, he was the head of their party in 1952. He led them from Canada to Moscow for their, for their annual meeting. And it's strange that through, when he was running for government, not, not one single newspaper mentioned that fact. Why is that? Well, you see, the big boys at the top run communism, and they run capitalism. They run both sides of it, and they need both sides. Sometimes they'll, they'll need to bring in a socialist uh, dictator for a little while to alter your system and that's what Pierre Trudeau did completely altered the system there was no national debt to speak of for Canada until he got in and left it with a massive massive rolling debt and changed everything upside down 
And he even admitted it at one point when he was on with, uh, I think it was René Levesque, his pal, who admitted on television, he says, we were, we were kind of misguided when we were younger with our ideals, etc. Meaning communist, you see. But you must lie to get in. That's the key to it. You lie to get in. By any means possible, you lie to get in. And once you're in, you, you, you go on what you're told to do. And sometimes those who, who rule both sides, you see, will put what appears to be a right-winger to, to Germany for foreign wars and things, or to bring in a totalitarian regime at home, so the machinery, which is what Bush did, and then they bring in what appears to be the communist character who brings in, oh, I'm for the people and stuff, and he'll use the force when, when we need be. But they're the masters of revolution because they have used revolutions down through the ages. And not only that, they use, they use geopolitics as combined with psychopolitics. Because each political area, according to the cultures of the people, you must tailor make your revolution and the ideals of the revolution for that particular culture. What would work in one place wouldn't work in another. Therefore, you use geopolitics and psychopolitics. And that's what they can also do the same thing at home for different eras. It's interesting, too, that all of academia takes grants from the same big foundations. And it's always through academia and professors that push certain ideals for a particular age or part of an age. And they rile up the students who end up wanting to protest about what they see as obvious injustice, never realizing there's a much bigger game at the top that they'll never understand. Lenin said the same thing. He says to the masses, we tell them it's about equality and fairness. And then for those in the middle ranks, the, the lesser bureaucrats, etc., they give them another ideology and doctrine. And in the Politburo, for those who rule, the elite families who rule, you have another doctrine again. That's how things really work. And it's just the same in the Western world when it comes to right-wing and left-wing. There's always what they see perceived at the bottom by both people who, who join these groups or classes, if you like. And then there's another middle-ranking group of educated, higher-educated people. And then there's the real policymakers at the top that, that often aren't even elected. They're advisors. They're put in as advisors to make sure the presidents do what they're told. It's a, it seems complex, but it's not complex because we're dealing with techniques that have been used for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. There's many techniques used. When they talked about the next part of the revolution to bring in their controlled society, not just a controlled society, but uh, an updated man by using science. Because the elite's problem was always, always the numbers of populations, when they get their magic number, they're terrified of revolution, which is outside of their control. Therefore, they've always tried to keep populations down. They always turn on, on their own people eventually, always. Psychopaths do that. And they hope to use science, you see. They've always put science up as their god. Knowledge is power. But knowledge, which can be enforced by big money, and laws is very powerful indeed. That's science. Aldo Huxley, 
who came from a lineage, a long lineage of the aristocracy. Uh, in fact, um, Sir Thomas Huxley was his grandfather, the best pal of Charles Darwin. He took up the Darwinian cause once Darwin died. They all, they all came from the same cliques, you might say. And Darwinism was the first attempt to eliminate the old rules of God. That was one of the prime tenets to destroy first God, then the family units. We have no opposition, so government will be in charge of the individual. Back with more after the following break. Hi, this is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix talking about the ruling oligarchy, you might say. That's what Huxley called them. Aldo Huxley. Uh, he was writing his stuff, A Brave New World, and so on. And Brave New World revisited later on. While his brother, Julian Huxley, was the first CEO of the nation's branch, UNESCO, who uh, wrote books about creating a uniform society across the world, standardized with a, an indoctrinated uh, youth program, basically. Worldwide, that's happened. We're all given the same Plato's cave in which to live and think. And all, all, the, all the questions we'd have are answered already, so we don't have to look for answers. That's what Plato's cave also is. And Huxley said at his 1962 speech at Berkeley, I remember, too, he was talking to an Ivy League crew that were going off into governmental departments and so on, so they can speak more openly to them and behaviorists and uh, psychologists, etc. That's, who we, in other words, a peer-type group of controllers. And he says, it seems to me that the nature of the ultimate revolution with which we are now faced is precisely this, that we are in the process of developing a whole series of techniques which will enable the controlling oligarchy who have always existed and presumably will always exist to get people to love their servitude. That was at Berkeley, 1962. I have that audio on my archive section. If you go into the, the, the cuttingthroughthematrix.com website and scroll down to these other little square boxes and punch up the archives, previous shows. And he also said this. He says, there will be in the next generation or so a pharmacological method of making people love their servitude and producing dictatorship without tears, so to speak, producing a kind of painless concentration camp for entire societies so that people will in fact have their liberties taken away from them but will rather enjoy it because they will be distracted from any desire to rebel by propaganda or brainwashing or brainwashing enhanced by pharmacological methods and this seems to be the final revolution that's how he saw it so a, a world uh, where we're all slaves will be servants. Again, that member too is the ideal that came out of the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations to bring in a world of service. But they want us to be happy slaves because we'll have so much brainwashing and we'll also be tinkered with, with pharmacological uh, techniques and, and drugs and so on. Well, the drugs are all over society. Most of them are prescribed by doctors. And that's why they wanted to get at the children very young. So we'll be the happiest slaves really that ever existed. And to be, to be honest with you, when you look around you, they are. 
they're dumbed down. Uh, they can't think very clearly or, or quickly because of all the junk food they've grown up eating and still eat. So it's also in the food, you see. You don't have to just put out pills. You can also put it in the food. Remember the article I read yesterday about the food supply, using the food supply and water by Paul Ehrlich. That's one of the methods of sterilizing people. But they also thought about drugging the people. See? It's happened. Then all the inoculations you've had since childhood all done on faith. This really is a polio shot, honestly. And the doctor will think that too and think you're crazy if you disagree. Everyone takes it on pure faith and sticks his stuff in your arm and then you, you drop a few points in the IQ level. They have officially dropped IQ level to a new normal by a, a few points. I think it's five or six points down. I don't know what the next one's to drop to. But yeah, we're going through techniques, and where do the techniques come from? They're used through school, they're used, and now they call it neuroscience and neurolinguistics and neuropsychodrama, etc. There's a whole bunch of terms they use for the media, especially the visual media, where they can use emotive embedding. If you want to train a child to believe something emphatically and become even a radical fighter for something, a good, a good illustration is the, the whole greening movement and save the animals and so on. They'll show you a clip and listen to all the stuff you always get through school and even for adults and documentaries. Why do you think there's always a kind of uh, background music there? Why is, that, why is it necessary to put a background a dramatical type music to get a point across? It's because it lulls you into a different uh, phase, a different alpha phase. In your mindset to hypnotize you. It helps. It helps because the visual part already is set up to hypnotize you. With television, it's a flicker rate too. But also with the, the, the particular dramatical, ominous music, when they're showing you there's something they want to embed in you, they'll show you an animal fighting for its life because of something that man's done to it. And you'll think this is happening all over, and they'll often suggest that it is. Or they'll show you some clear-cut, the same clear-cut part uh, of a forest they've shown for the last 50 years and use the same techniques on that. And that child will think of the injustice of it all, how, why everything's suffering because of this. And they become radical. That embeds in their minds. Imprinting, it's called. Imprinting. It's used. That's a one technique. That's just one technique. There's many techniques there's a form of psychodrama, which they also use. And someone, when Obama was running, or put there to run, uh, did a fantastic expose on the hypnotic uh, techniques used in his speeches. Whoever wrote the speeches did a very good job, but they also trained him on how to use his, his arms and how to pause and look at the sky and look at the ground and so on to either accept something or to dismiss something. These are all techniques used which the public are unaware of, but the laugh that I'll back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Through the Matrix, 
just touching on something before I go into the stories for tonight, and I have to rush through things because there's not much time in an hour to, to get through things at all. And there's so much always to say that you can only see a fraction. But as I say, when you, whenever you watch a documentary, always remember if there's background music, when they're trying to give you facts, supposedly, you wouldn't need the music. And what happens with this kind of music, if it's always dramatic, it's a kind of music that instills a kind of fight or flight syndrome inside the listener. Your adrenaline shoots up, your heart will actually speed up as well. Often, uh, in fact, you can play the music itself with a certain rhythm, fast rhythm, and your heart will start to match it. They understand this kind of thing. So you bring on uh, a fight or flight crisis type situation within the listener, and that opens you up wide for more uh, programmability. You're more suggestible during that particular period. So the, so the visual then impacts you. Whatever is visual will impact you. You'll see how terrible and awful this is. And those who are showing you a side of something, and they maybe have invented the very thing that you're seeing just for the show. Never forget that. Then that will embed itself in you, and you'll be a true advocate for a cause later on in life. That's standard technique, standard technique. Absolute standard. Now, I just want to touch on something I mentioned last week, too, or maybe in the beginning of this week. It was to do with weather warfare. And uh, Collar had said that, um, on, he thought it was the History Channel, they'd showed an, a, a, a program on some of the history of weather warfare, harp and so on. And uh, I found a clip it's only about 10 minutes, I think, from that show. And I'll put that up tonight. It's very interesting how they even tested out the 50s. I think it was 52 in Britain and caused incredible flooding. And people were actually, bodies were, were floated out to sea. They were lost at sea from the shore. Uh, this incredible flood took place. And the Royal Air Force admitted they were doing weather warfare experiments over that area at that time. But also it goes into stuff from later on as well. But understand, too, that uh, the program is called That's Impossible. They have a whole series of them on different topics. But I believe they're replaying the show Saturday, July the 25th at 4 p.m. Now, I don't know if that's Central, Eastern, or what. But that's to be shown again. It's called That's Impossible Weather Warfare, July 25th, 4 p.m. And I think it's the, probably the same channel, History Channel. So you should get your recording devices ready and try and get a copy of it. It'd be a very important one, probably. It's interesting, though, these shows, that they tend to leave it hanging in the air, even when they have evidence. I've also, in the past, given out uh, an article to do with the yellow stuff that was coming down in one place. It came down here, too, in Canada, where I live, a couple of years ago, in uh, early, early spring, long before pollen was out. And... Um, this guy had the same thing happen in the States, and they did test that there was cadmium was coming down, and uh, I might even try and find that link again. It's a regular television expose on this, this particular thing. But, you know, I've got so many articles here, and I've got so much stuff that's declassified from the U.S., Canadian, and British governments and other governments that really I'd have to go into about a month, a month to show you what they've done to their own people, what they've tested on their own people. This gelatinous stuff, they're dropping all over Britain. It's been in the papers uh, very recently. They're finding this, this kind of clear-type jelly everywhere. That's identical to the stuff they've used 
for carrying some medium which they carry bacterium and viruses down to the ground with. And I have, a, uh, there's a show, it's mainstream again on the United States, where the U.S. military used this over a town six times, I think, in a few weeks. And the people, pretty well all of them came down with different illnesses, infections, and so on, killed all their domestic animals. And luckily they took a sample to a hospital. And you'll hear the guy in this particular clip uh, who examined the, the, the specimen, this gelatinous stuff again. And uh, he found that there was even con contaminated uh, white blood cells in there. Well, that's what you use if you want to. That's what they, see, they use animals and even corpses for growing bacterium and viruses. And then they simply mince them up pretty well, take the blood out. It's all infected. And that's how you, in a crude fashion, just spread the stuff. You spray it. Mainstream television. So they use this gelatinous stuff for doing it. I have other articles too from declassified U.S. Or, um, military uh, articles where they admit they do use this jelly stuff for exactly that bacterial and viral uh, warfare purposes. You don't have to worry about other countries doing anything. You see, the, our own governments have been doing amazing things in us all along. And we know that even from the sterility rates too. That was all planned. It's all planned. Whenever you find something happening in real life, you have to go in like any detective and just say, well, who mentioned they'd like this to be done? And you'll get such a host of people like the Huxleys and like the Russells, like the Ehrlichs, Paul Ehrlichs. You'll find it with um, even Mr. Holdren, who wrote his eco-science book. He's now the science czar, they call him, for the United States, who wanted to drastically depopulate the world. And, and they're all out in the open now, Optimum Population Trust. When something happens in society that people want it to happen, you can take it for granted it was, it was caused to happen by intelligent sources, not by happenstance. That's how you take evidence into a court of law. You take it into the court of law, and supposedly the decision is arrived at by the preponderance of evidence. And we have so much of it that you have to accept it. So you see, we'll be under attack all our lives. Remember Lord Bertrand Russell, a good friend of the Huxleys and all the other characters involved in setting up this present system, said he would even use the needle, the needle injections for compliance amongst the public and so on and bringing the population down. Who benefits? Always ask who benefits. Who who worked towards this? Who had meetings about this? Many, many meetings. And then you'll come to the same conclusion. Intelligent minds with power to back them and governments to help them with things in law made this all happen. Very, very simple. It's no coincidence. And talking about how they'd use psychological techniques and pharmacology and all the rest of it, it's much easier when you've destroyed society completely. Remember, they said they'd have to destroy the cultures of the Western world completely. First religion, then the family unit. The Ehrlichs and all these characters wrote about the necessity for destroying the family unit because people were torn between standing up for their relatives against governments or obeying governments. That was why they'd have to destroy it. 
and they've done it pretty well. And the Ehrlichs and the Holdrens and so on were just lower agents, you might say, players for the big powers that controlled them, they took their orders from. And they still take their orders from. And now it's much, much easier to get adults to accept their children themselves. Have you noticed that most folk have no confidence in their own judgments anymore? Because we're all treated like children. Huxley said too, and Russell said, they were bringing a society of experts till the public literally would throw their own judgments to the side as being inferior to the experts' opinions. That's happened. And here's what they can do once they've done this, you see. This is from the Telegraph. From the Telegraph. This is an ongoing uh, agenda in this actual area. All of these agendas are ongoing. All parents are to sign behavioral contracts with government agencies. All parents will be forced to sign, forced to sign. I love how they even word it now. That, that at one time would have caused, caused riots itself. All parents will be forced to sign contracts to ensure their children behave at school, the government has announced. Zekel. By Graham Patton, education editor, July 22nd, pupils and their families will be required to agree to the deal, setting out minimum standards of behavior and attendance before the start of term. Contracts known as home school agreements will also establish parents' responsibilities for the first time. Now, they're starting off with fines for parents. It's all amazing how they find you. They face court action and possible fines of up to £1,000 for repeatedly breaking rules. So if your child breaks a rule, you get fined for it. And, this is, and it says that near the end of the article, they're going to keep raising the fine. Get it on the books and then check it up, you see. The contracts will become compulsory in all English state schools under plans laid out in a government white paper. Ministers suggested that good parents, good, in quotation marks, would be able to complain about other families and fathers who fail to ensure their children behave. So you're rats on other people. And I've mentioned this character before. His name is so appropriate. The guy, the, guy, the politician who's in charge of, as the school's secretary for Britain, Ed Balls. You know, Ed Balls. This guy, this guy really has missed his vocation. He'd have done so well under, under Hitler or Stalin. He really would have. It says, he said the changes would help stop a single student disrupting the education of his or her classmates. Well, I don't know how, how because her parents are going to get fined. If a large majority of parents are doing the right thing but a small minority do not engage, you can have one lesson for 30 children disrupted by one child, he said. Every parent will have to, as part of the admissions process, Say they take on board the obligations in the homeschool agreement, and every parent will be expected to reaffirm that every year. You understand that parents are now becoming children, and the big daddy is government. You know, it's like everything else, and, and it's so true. Lenin said it all. He was taught by the best bankers on the planet. He said that they would, in the West, he says, we'll bring up services. And each service will be raised gradually and gradually, in other words, Fabian style, up to the status of authority. So you have education services that are now authorities. You have health services that are now authorities. They're all branches, you see. Independent to an extent, but given the power of government, from government, and backed by governments. There's 
authorities and the parents are now children being taught that they are children by these kind of laws says if other parents feel that the HSA is not being enforced against other parents they'll be able to tell the local education authority and it goes on to say right down to the bottom where it says uh, fines of up to a thousand pounds but they're going to review that and it'll probably go up again even, even this, this balls character even says uh, um, headmasters etc will be able to say to their recalcitrant parents so you're, you're a bad you're, you hang your, your heads in shame like a, a bad student parents out there recalcitrant parents if you do not sign this or make sure they do their homework or support discipline then we will take that as evidence in the magistrate's court it's incredible incredible what they're doing just totalitarianism we are under police states very evidently so. There's no democracy in anything. That was a good cover for a long time. But the true fascists at the top are out in the open. Out in the open now. Here's another article of where the police states go, apart from monitoring every, every subject and citizen and all your moves and all your data. That's standard police state technique. And also censoring what you're told by mainstream not the mainstream objects, because they're part of the control mechanism. <clears throat> but here's another article exactly along the same line. <clears throat> this is from the Mail Online. Cash rewards for neighbours who rat on the crooks next door. This is the 25th of May, 2007. Neighbours could receive huge cash rewards for trapping value-added taxes, a sort of tax appeal on goods over Britain, or customs chiefs living next door. See, they always hit you as though it's a good thing, it's a low scum at the bottom they're after, but that's not true. It's everybody they're after. They call it the, the alternate or underground economy, those who still sell stuff at flea markets and things like that. That's really what it's for. In return for evidence which could be used to seize the assets of local fraudster, the information would be, the informant would be granted a share of the ill-gotten gains. The pay it could be as high as 30% of the total amount seized, potentially running into hundreds of thousands of pounds. Ministers as politicians have also not ruled out allowing informants to take over a neighbour's possessions, such as luxury cars or plasma TVs, if they've been brought with or bought with the proceeds of crime. The latest of the Home Office ideas to target the luxury lifestyles enjoyed by criminals after the disappointing start made by the Assets Recovery Agency. They're not going after the politicians, all of them who are overcharging and all their expenses account by thousands and thousands of pounds. There's nothing to do with what they say is going after everybody, as I say, who's got a little push cart selling sausages on the street. That's really what it's after. Other new powers could include the right to seize fashionable or ostentatious lifestyle items from thieves and burglars, such as jewellery, china and laptops. They could include, for example, secretly taking photographs. Everybody become a spy on everybody else because of lust. You see, I want what they've got. Offenders, who could be companies or individuals, may include value-added tax cheats or those who bring in cigarettes. Oh, top criminals. Cigarettes and alcohol from abroad for resale without paying any duty. You know, it's in the papers too, you can buy a snort of cocaine for, for a pound, one pound in Britain now. And here they are going after guys who bring in a, a few bottles of booze. It says here, uh, there, it says that the, the only thing that would be 
be wrong with this is, is it could easily lead to disputes between neighbors whose households spy on each other in the hope they will eventually get their hands on their wealth. Well, of course it will, but they want to really degrade society till you get all this happening at the bottom. And, you know, the police already do that in most countries now. It's like the Soviet took it from the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union, when they went into someone's house, they confiscated all the goods in that house, regardless of what the charge was, and they split the loot amongst themselves. That was standard operating procedure. And then the Western countries started to do the same, first with drugs and then for other things. You see? Now they're just expanding it until everyone's going to spy on everybody else because they want what they've got. Amazing, isn't it? How they encourage criminality from the top. Because a lot of people will set up their neighbors. All you have to do is put down some weed somewhere around their house, get the place attacked, and then you come away with a plasma television. That will happen. Encouraging crime. But you see, government can't do anything but go by its nature because they are the criminals. They are the criminals. And here's another article here about this incredible fascist system where private business is totally integrated with government to do with the drug companies and the profits they're hoping to make from all this scary stuff on the non-existent flu. Back with more after this break. Cutting through the matrix. The big pharma companies are really just raking the cash in with all this hype and fear that they've helped generate. And this is from the Mail Online. Glaxo profits soar as drug firm charges the National Health Service £6 for swine flu vaccine shot that costs £1 to make. What a deal. This is a profit, eh? And it goes on to do this is the 23rd of, of July. Drugs giant Glaxo. Smith-Klein was accused of cashing in on swine flu after it revealed its profits have risen 10% since the virus was identified. Announced profits yesterday of £2.1 billion in the past three months alone. Sales of vaccines and antiviral drugs could push the figure up even higher. Boy, they're going to pump this for everything they've got, eh? But there you go. It costs £1 to make a shot and they sell it to the, to the health service for £6. So there, there you go. That's that's where the money is these days, eh? It's in crisis creation, and you've got the solution. Not that it will be the solution, mind you. I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole, anything they offered me. Now, there's a caller they will try and get him in. Kevin from Texas, are you there, Kevin? Yes, I'm here, sir. Go ahead. Yeah, I guess we're short on time, so I'll make it quick. I recently reread Atlas Shrugged, and I uh, was a little surprised on some of the subtle things that I missed 30 years ago the first time I read it. Yeah. And I, but my question was, uh, what did you think of Ms. Rand and her writings and, and where she, if she had any particular position amongst the Russells, the Huxleys, the Canes, yeah. and so on and mm-hmm. so forth? Well, she did. I think her name was Alice Morgenthau. She came, she changed it when she came over. And uh, she had many followers from the middle class who thought she spoke for them. Uh, and being an individual and doing an individual thing, but you had to look at what she was saying uh, from another side of the fence. 
look who she mixed with. Look who her, she was a mistress of Baron Rothschild at one point for a long time. She was speaking on behalf of those she called geniuses who already ruled the world, who were individualists and had the right to do with the world as they saw fit, and that the masses hindered them. She even put the ideas in her books, like Atlas Shrugged and so on. And another one, too, I can't remember the name of it, but uh, this guy fights his way out of a totalitarian sort of religious-type society and becomes an individual, then a lord, and he ends up with ego. I am pure ego. I am master. So in other words... It depends what side of the fence. She was actually speaking on behalf of the elite themselves, not the followers who followed her. And therefore the Rothschilds, men of genius, who already ruled the world, had the right to do as they wished with the whole planet and everybody in it. And that's, that's the turning point. It was very, uh, very interesting to see the followers thought she was speaking for the average middle-class American. Well, uh, yeah, 30 years ago when I first read it, I thought she was speaking for the libertarian type American, and when I just reread it, you're right, I mean, that's exactly what I got. And yes. I was kind of surprised, I realized, oh, no, 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 she wasn't speaking for us. That's right. I mean, she mixed with, with, with Einstein and all these characters in Hollywood. She, she, she was always with the multi-millionaires, um, individuals who were really um, outside of politics, directing whole countries. And she admired these people, and, and that's what she was, that she was, she was all about, that the, the masses had no right to keep these people um, behind or, or, or pull them down or not let them do what they wanted to do. And now we're facing it because the ones who are ruling the world are the okay. very people she was talking about. I know we're running out of time. I can hear the music. If you can give me one writer, one writer that speaks for the real people, who yeah. would it be? For the real people, uh, I'd have to get back to you on that. I'll tell you about a thing. Give me one name. Yeah. But that's, that's the music, so it's the end of the show for tonight. So from Hamish and myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.